What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. We begin with stocks finding new footing after a volatile few days for the markets. But Bank of America says don't get too bullish just yet. And higher this morning, bank stocks after bouncing back in a very big way. Yesterday, they're set to gain even more ground today at the open. And this is Fed's drill down on Silicon Valley Bank and ready legal action with its former executives in their crosshairs. Plus, why Carl Icahn says he's not buying any tech stocks at these levels. Of course, we will debate it. And then later on in the show, getting more human every day in the latest release from ChatGPT. It's getting a little weird. It's Wednesday, March 15th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Collin. Thanks for waking up with us on a Wednesday morning. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. Right now, we're seeing futures in the red. They've been kind of flat to slightly positive all morning. Right now, it actually looks like the NASDAQ is very fractionally in the green, but something to watch. Flat futures right now. This after a mostly higher session for stocks yesterday with the Dow snapping a five-session losing streak and the S&P 500 seeing its best day since late January and leading the markets higher yesterday. What else? Bank stocks, specifically regional names. That sector snapping a six-session losing streak and seeing its best day since early February and the rally. It doesn't appear to be over just yet. We're looking at names like Western Alliance, First Republic, and more. Right now, Western Alliance up almost 8%. First Republic up more than 12%. And down here, we're seeing lesser moves for regions and also Comerica. All right. We also, of course, have to check the bond market. We're continuing to watch the bond market as a lot of investors flee there for safety. Right now, the two-year note at 4.33. Now, just a week ago, remember, this was over 5%, that yield. We're seeing the two-year, excuse me, the 10-year, the benchmark at 3.67. Just a week ago, this was about 30 basis points higher. So a lot of moves to the downside of yields. Of course, remember, prices and yields move inversely. We're also watching energy. Oil right now also taking a dip lower as we've seen rates rising and fluctuating. WTI crude at 72 bucks a barrel, about four bucks less a barrel than it was a week ago. This morning, up about a percent. Same story for Brent crude, up about a percent right now. Natural gas down fractionally. And we're also watching crypto. We're going to talk a lot more about crypto in the show later on today. However, we're seeing a move to the upside for Bitcoin. Bitcoin actually crossed the 25,000 mark just yesterday, now up about a half a percent. Ether, XRP, Cardano, Solana, um, actually, excuse me, Solana actually up almost 2%, but Ether, XRP, and Cardano in the red this morning. Again, we'll talk a lot more about crypto later on the show. Now let's get a check on the overnight action over in Asia and the early trade over in Europe. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is standing, li- uh, standing by in our London newsroom. You are standing by live, but I was like jumping the gun there, Juliana. <laughs> 
Greg, good morning. I am indeed live in our London studio. And in terms of the market action overnight in Asia, we saw the markets follow the relief rally we had on Wall Street yesterday. So all of the major regions there catching a bid overnight. Shanghai Composite rallying about 0.5%. The Hang Seng outperforming up 1.5%. We got some fresh data out of China, which effectively showed that the recovery is happening gradually post the COVID reopening. China retail sales for the first two months of the year growing 3.5%. That was in line with expectations. Fixed asset investment, top forecast, a little bit softer than expected, was industrial production for the period. Now, in terms of European market trade, we had a solid rally yesterday, but this morning investors are taking some profits after the bounce back that we saw. We are seeing defensives outperform this morning, so utilities, telecoms, healthcare catching a bid. On the downside, cyclicals are underperforming, so the likes of basic resources, oil and gas, and retail are selling off. And two names in the retail space in particular catching a lot of focus this morning, Inditex, the Zara owner, and H&M. Both of those names are trading toward the bottom of the stock 600 this morning. The companies delivered disappointing updates despite posting higher profits and sales. In the UK, we're keeping an eye on the budget. The UK Chancellor Jeremy Hunt is due to deliver a number of measures to spur growth later this afternoon. And here's a look for you at bond markets in Europe. We have, for the most part, been seeing bond yields move higher across the region ahead of the European Central Bank meeting tomorrow, where they're expected to raise rates once again. But beyond that, a lot of debate. Frank, back right, over Juliana, to you. Thank you very much for the latest over in the overseas action. We appreciate Juliana as always. All right, now turning our attention to our top story and follow continues following the collapse and government backstop of Silicon Valley Bank. The latest now, the Federal Reserve is reportedly considering tougher rules and tougher oversight for mid-sized banks in the $100 billion to $250 billion range to head off potentially further issues and further disaster in this sector. This is the world's largest private equity firms like a Blackstone, Apollo, KKR, and many, many others are exploring the purchase of loans from the remains of SVB, totaling some $74 billion. Plus, as small bank confidence falls, one big bank is seeing its surge. This morning, reports that Bank of America has taken in more than $15 billion in new deposits in just a matter of days. But that's not all. NBC News' Jacob Ward has more on the fallout over SVB's collapse. Silicon Valley Bank now under federal investigation. NBC News confirming with multiple sources the Department of Justice, along with the Securities and Exchange Commission, have launched probes looking at, among other things, stock sales made by company executives before the bank collapsed. This has caused grow in Washington for renewed bank regulation and accountability. I do think that certainly the, the profits from the sales by the owner should be clawed back uh, because uh, we're going to have to be raising fees on banks uh, in order to uh, pay for the uninsured depositors at this bank and other banks. Despite several smaller regional banks bouncing back in the stock market, Moody's announced a downgraded outlook for the U.S. banking sector as a whole. How healthy are other small institutions like Silicon Valley Bank? Analysts say we will not know the fundamentals until a Federal Reserve report provides a look at combined balance sheets two weeks from Friday. The stocks are absolutely not a reliable indicator. In two weeks, we'll know if there is a big outflow or not. But that, but that's the next kind of scheduled data point that, that we'll get. Just before its collapse, Silicon Valley Bank blamed its troubles on elevated cash burn from its mostly tech-focused clients. Now the concern is in part whether other regional banks are exposed to similar risk. All right, that was Jake Ward of NBC News.
Turning our attention back to the broader markets right now, looking at futures right now, mixed to slightly lower right now. Only the Nasdaq showing it's in the green. This on the heels of yesterday's positive session. This saw all three indices end in the green, though some analysts say we are not out of the woods just yet. A new note from Bank of America showing its U.S. regime indicator dipping deeper into negative territory in February for the second straight month. Savita Subramanian, head of U.S. equity and quantitative strategy at Bank of America, says this confirms we are officially out of late cycle and into the next phase downturn. She says that is where high quality, low risk and large cap stocks should do well. Let's talk much more about this with Kevin Karen, Washington Crossings Advisor, Senior Portfolio Manager, and Quincy Crosby, LPL Financial Chief Equity Strategist. Gentlemen, great to have you both on. Thank you. All right. Uh, let's just kick things off. Kind of a, uh, excuse me, not gentlemen, I'm sorry. Both of you have great to have you on. Apologies. A um, bit of a wild week. It's only Wednesday. Yesterday, we saw all S&P sectors in the green. Communication services being the leader following uh, the meta layoffs. Meta gave it a big boost. We also saw higher than normal inflows into index in- investing, uh, the SPY and the triple Q that tracks the NASDAQ 100. So, uh, Karen, I'm going to start with you. What do we make of all this? I mean, what do you make of all this flight to, to index investing? And then also yeah. one of the, the biggest uh, stocks making a move uh, being a company that had a layoff. Yeah. So I, I don't think you can make too much out of one company, but I would say thematically, uh, we've gotten to a point where higher quality stocks have have found uh, buyers. We're, we're going through a point, a point here where uh, confidence has been hit and investors are looking for companies that have very sound balance sheets, predictable businesses, strong cash flows. Profit, um, all of those kind of things mean that higher quality stocks are going to do better. And I'd have to put technology in that camp. If you look at tech, for example, as a sector, it has essentially almost 0% net debt. Uh, When you compare that to the banks, where you have tremendous leverage, you can see why investors might be taking another, a second look at tech here. And I think that this marks a significant break in the way that the market has been performing over the last year or so, where higher quality stocks were essentially uh, left in the dust as lower quality, higher yielding companies really ruled the roost in 2022. But now that that confidence has been shook here somewhat. The shift that there's a bid now for companies with better balance sheets and more consistent businesses. All right, Quincy, over to you. And I'm going to apologize. Just address the elephant in the room. I thought Quincy was a man. Quincy, I'm going to apologize to you. So um, your, your take on what we're <laughs> seeing. The only one. You're not the only one. <laughs> I, I got to be I, I, I kind of looked and I, I don't you know, I wasn't staring at the screen, but let's just move on. <laughs> Uh, again, what do you make of communication services being the leader yesterday, Meta giving it a big boost after that layoff news, and uh, higher than the normal volume into index investing with the SPY and the triple Qs? Well, uh, no, it, it was an interesting day, certainly. I mean, we were looking to see if the banks could uh, see inflows on, on, all, uh, on all of the sell-off, but we were in an oversold market, and many Many uh, hedge funds, many portfolio managers were waiting for the market to move into oversold territory. And they had that yesterday, certainly. We had a large order, multi-billion dollar order. At the end of the day, you saw the market pick up very close to the close as that money went into those uh, indexes. The fact is that the market right now understands that the first quarter earnings season is going to be much tougher than what we've had previously as we sort of muddled through. The other part of the story is that we have a a scenario in which financial conditions are actually starting to tighten. 
We enjoyed a period where the lower quality names were moving higher dramatically on the back of or predicated on a very attractive uh, weak financial conditions, loose financial conditions. The picture has changed and the picture has changed, I think, quite dramatically. And we're going to see communication services, the quality names. You mentioned uh, Meta. Yeah, the, the, the market has rewarded companies that are cutting costs and layoffs have been very attractive for the market in, in big tech. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Kevin Quincy said this word over and over again, quality. I know you're looking for quality names. Late last year, quality meant dividends. Now with short-term bonds yielding so much, I think the story's changed. Give us a, a sense really quickly of the metrics that make a quality stock in today's market. Oh, sure. That's easy. So we want to see at Washington Crossing, we want to see debt at less than about 30 percent of the capital structure. We want to see profitability based on assets, not equity, much higher than what the market is. And then we're looking for a business that when you look, at, look back at performance through thick and thin, that those are businesses that have delivered. And all of those things tend to be underappreciated in bull markets like Quincy was describing, where capital is, uh, is available and liquidity is flush. Those kind of companies might take a backseat as they did last year. But this year, especially with confidence taking a hit, those companies that are able to deliver consistently and you don't have to worry about credit credit qualities, those companies suddenly get a bid. Okay. And that's very important, especially when the market's under stress. So, Quincy, I'm going to give you the last word. Uh, one thing you're watching is how short covering, covering is influencing the market. I've done some reporting on how short covering has pushed the WCLD cloud and enterprise computing ETF higher. What other areas are you seeing short covering having a, a significant influence? Well, you know, I think you're going to see short covering even more with some of the quality names. I mean, short, whatever is moving higher, that's where, the, where you have to cover your shorts. And if the market starts to see, you know, a broad-based quality move in the market, you're going to see short covering. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, by the way, most bull markets, true bull markets, secular bull markets, begin with short covering. It's just that you start building and building and building, and, and buyers actually come in rather than those just covering the shorts. So there's nothing wrong with that. It is normal. Right now, we're looking to see if we could push through the 200-day moving average. We closed right there yesterday. The market is looking to see if we can build on that and keep going higher and kind of re reclaim some of those important technical levels, short covering okay. or not. All right, we'll have to leave the conversation there. Kevin Carey, Karen, Quincy Crosby, I'm just going to try to get out of this one. It's great to see both of you. Great insights. Great to have you on. All right, we come back to Worldwide Exchange. Can the crypto run continue? A look at Bitcoin as it shoots for $25,000 this morning, plus much more on Silicon Valley Bank and the sector fallout. We speak with a former SEC investigator on what could come next. And later, why Carl Khan has a big problem with mega cap tech. A very busy hour is still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Imagine you're on a John Deere mower with a smooth ride, intuitive controls, and attachments for every season. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. 
The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. All right. Welcome back. The crypto market's been on a tear this week. Bitcoin surging to a nine month high, topping 26,000 before giving back some gains. Analysts point to the mildly encouraging U.S. inflation data. They're also surprised at how well cryptocurrencies have largely just shrugged off the collapse of Silvergate Capital, SVB and Signature Bank in just the past week. Let's get more insight with Clara Medalli, director of research at Kaiko, a leading provider of crypto market data. Great to have you on this morning. Thanks. All right. So I think the question a lot of people want to know, is there any fundamental reason why we're seeing cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin, move to the upside in the last week or so? So Bitcoin's rally is quite remarkable, especially considering this past weekend, there was essentially mass market chaos amid news that Circle had funds stored in SVB. Um, they had about three billion. And so this suggested that the stable coin they were issuing, USTC, essentially could have had a de-pegging event, which would have been devastating for the entire DeFi ecosystem in particular. So right when news broke that the government essentially would backstop all depositor funds, markets rallied. Um, and that's what we're seeing happen today. Bitcoin is still rallying quite consistently. But there was another news that was Binance. Binance announced, too, that they would actually be converting 1 billion BUSD into Bitcoin and Ethereum and BNB. This is significant buy pressure on the entire market, which is essentially skyrocketing prices. All right. That's really interesting. So that news about converting to Bitcoin and Ethereum. So the, the fact that they want to take their coin and turn it into these other more popular, well-known coins, you're saying that's just creating some of the rally, right? Yes, definitely. So essentially, they're going to be selling 1 billion BUSD and buying Bitcoin and Ethereum and some other crypto assets. Uh, and so this is a lot of money. And especially because crypto markets are relatively illiquid right now, that will cause significant buy pressure. And so that's, I think, what we're seeing today. It's unclear whether they've actually started these purchases, but the news alone instantly caused a market rally. Right. Buy on the rumor. So there is kind of a fundamental reason here. A lot of times you look at Bitcoin's movements and there's a lot of questions. But this time there's a couple of fundamental reasons underpinning all this. OK, something else I want to talk to you about. Not too long ago, we saw a direct correlation with Bitcoin and the Nasdaq 100. They kind of moved lock stack. This is like late last year. Has that correlation continued? And what does that tell us? So, no, actually, Bitcoin's correlation with the Nasdaq today is at its lowest level since the FTX collapse. With FTX, that was a pretty idiosyncratic market event, so it only briefly dipped. But it seems actually since the start of the year, we've seen a steady decline in this. Um, I would say for the first two months, uh, January and February, crypto markets were really suffering. Um, and so what we're seeing, though, is a slight decorrelation across all the entire asset class from crypto to equities alike. Um, and I think that's due to a lot of crypto specific um, issues, specifically the regulatory um, crackdown that happened in January and February. And now we're seeing actually a bull reversal, which is even stronger than what we're seeing in NASDAQ. So it's sort of the opposite trend since the start of the week. All right, Claire, the big question, I think, for everybody that invests in cryptocurrencies right now, we have a big Fed meeting coming up next week. We obviously just had the SVB situation. We also saw Signature Bank, which was considered the last major crypto bank shut down. Um, coming up, this Fed meeting, is that going to have an impact on crypto the same way we expect it to have an impact on stocks? Or does crypto have some other meaningful moment coming up? 
So cryptocurrencies certainly react very strongly to any Fed meeting, especially over the past year. Um, And a lot of crypto investors are very hopeful, especially in news of three bank closures in the United States, that the Fed is going to take it easy. And this is good for all risk assets. It's not just crypto, it's equity markets too. Crypto markets just happen to be a lot more volatile. So essentially they lead market sentiment. And right now there's a bit of a bullish mood across all markets that the Fed is going to halt these very aggressive rates hikes or at least slow them down. And so that's overflowing into crypto today. All right, Claire Medalli, thanks for the insight. Right now, Bitcoin actually just below 25,000, up a half a percent. Something to watch today. Thank you. All right, ahead here on WEX, your big money movers and why rising rates are not denting the fortunes for this housing stock. We are back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back to WEX. It is time now for your big money movers, three stock stories of the morning. We begin with the home builder, Lennar, reporting better than expected first quarter results, higher home prices, helping to offset supply shortages caused by rising costs for materials and a labor crunch. Lennar's chairman says sales volume and pricing has clearly been impacted by rising rates, but there remains a significant shortage of housing nationwide. And he says there is still demand. You can see shares are up three and a half percent. Sentinel One reporting a smaller than expected fourth quarter loss as revenue nearly doubled. The cybersecurity firm projecting revenue growth of about 50 percent this fiscal year, although that's below analyst estimates. I spoke with Sentinel One CEO last night who says the company has been gaining major traction in cloud security. And he believes opportunity in that space could be even larger down the road. The threat landscape is in an elevated um, you know, phase right now. It's very clear that with more geopolitical um, you know, uh, turmoil, obviously you're seeing attackers are trying to take advantage of that. And shares of Sentinel One up this morning. For more of the interview with the Sentinel One CEO, head over to the Worldwide Exchange page on CNBC.com. And shares of guests, they are sliding this morning. The clothing maker's fourth quarter results beating forecasts, but its profit outlook for the first quarter and the full year are below expectations. The company citing challenging market conditions, which are weighing against a strong performance in Europe. That's its biggest market. All right, you can see shares are down 6.5%. All right, let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Mena. He's in New York with the very latest. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Frank. Good morning. The Pentagon says that a Russian fighter plane brought down one of their drones over the Black Sea. The unmanned American drone was confronted by two Russian fighter jets who weaved dangerously close to it, dumped fuel on the U.S. drone and then collided with it. After the collision, the U.S. downed the $32 million drone in the Black Sea, first blacking out its software to keep classified information out of Russian hands. The Russian military claims they only responded to a violation of their airspace near occupied Ukrainian Crimea. President Biden is getting tough on gun safety measures. He signed an executive order increasing background checks on guns. 
Mr. Biden was in Monterey Park, California, where just two months ago, a gunman shot and killed 11 people at a dance studio. And finally, a man in Chicago has filed a class action lawsuit against Buffalo Wild Wings. He's accusing the company of deceptive marketing because their boneless chicken wings are made from chicken breast meat instead of deboned chicken wings. The suit does not say how much he's seeking in damages. When asked for comment, Buffalo Wild Wings refer- referenced this tweet here saying, it's true, our boneless wings are all white meat chicken. And they also made it clear that their buffalo wings are 0% buffalo. Frank, back to you. <laughs> I love the tweet response. By the way, you're upset you're getting better quality chicken? That just seems like an odd dispute. I mean, uh, next thing they're going to tell me that there's no such thing as chicken fingers, right? <laughs> Good point. You know? Good point, Philip. I like that one. Touche. There you go. Great to see you, man. See you tomorrow. Likewise. All right. When we come back, your top trending stories and why Apple TV may soon be on the hunt for a new hit. That's right. We're showing you video of Ted Lasso. It's going away. We'll be right back with the story. Stay with us. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and we are just getting started here on WEX. Here is what's still on deck. Stock searching for fresh momentum as investors seem to shake off fears around the strength of the financial sector. Silicon Valley Bank under investigation. The latest is the DOJ and the SEC launch probes into the factors that fueled the firm's collapse. And Carl Icahn saying he's not sold on tech stocks despite sizable pullbacks in prices. It is Wednesday, March 15th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Frank Holland. You are watching WEX. It's right around 530 here in the New York City area. Let's get a check on how the trading day is shaping up. We are watching futures right now. They've taken a turn decidedly to the downside. Right now, if it were to open up, the Dow looks like it'd open up about 150 points lower. The S&P and the Nasdaq, both about a third to a half a percent lower as well. All right. Time now for a check on some of the morning's top stories. Silvana Hanau is there here with those. Good morning, Silvana. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. The Federal Aviation Administration is set to hold a meeting today over concerns around safety in the skies and on the runways. The agency summit will focus on ways to strengthen protections for airline crews and passengers following a recent rash of incidents ranging from severe turbulence and fights to engine fires and near runway collisions. And ahead of that summit, be sure to catch acting FAA Administrator Billy Nolan on Squawk Box at 740 a.m. Eastern. TikTok is reportedly weighing separating from its parent company in a bid to ease concerns by U.S. lawmakers and regulators over national security risks. According to Bloomberg, the app's potential split from ByteDance, which could result in a sale or IPO, is considered a last resort. The report adds TikTok would only go down that road if its existing proposal with U.S. national security officials does not get approved. And OpenAI rolling out its latest artificial intelligence offering. The Microsoft-backed company says GPT-4, as the product is known, exhibits, quote, human-level performance on several academic and professional tests, such as the SATs and bar exam, Frank. Really interesting. You know, i got to be honest. I don't like this AI turning more human. I just wanted to do normal computer stuff. Agree. I could not agree more. I've seen Terminator so far. Yeah, same. (laughs) All right, Savannah, now, thank you very much. You got it. All right, turn our attention now to the very latest in the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. The Justice Department and the Securities and Exchange Commission opening separate investigations into the bank's downfall. Sources telling NBC News... The DOJ's probe is looking in part at whether SBB executives sold any stock prior to the collapse. 
Meanwhile, reports this morning the Federal Reserve is weighing if it will create tougher rules related to mid-sized banks in the wake of SVB. In addition to stronger capital and liquidity requirements, the Fed is also looking for ways to strengthen its annual stress test with new rules targeting firms with between $100 and $250 billion in assets. Those banks are currently not subject to the same tough requirements. And Bloomberg is reporting that U.S. regulators have also begun receiving interest for bids in Signature Bank. The report says the FDIC has opened a so-called data room, enabling potential bidders to begin their due diligence on the New York-based lender, which was seized by the government over the weekend. For more on the investigations and regulator reactions to SVB's downfall, let's bring in Jacob Frankel. He's a partner and chair of government investigations and securities enforcement at Dickinson Wright. He is also a former SEC Division of Enforcement senior counsel. And Chris Campbell, chief policy strategist at Kroll. He's also a former assistant treasury secretary for financial institutions. You both have some long resumes. People got to go to LinkedIn for the rest. But <laughs> we got the two right guys here. So, Jacob and Chris, before we get started, and Jacob, I'm going to ask you first. We just kind of detailed some of the things happening right now. I just want to go back just for a moment. We heard about what happened with SVB. Do you think the system failed here, or was there something else that happened? First of all, good to see you, Frank, and congrats on the new show. Oh, I, I think the system, you know, Kelly, I think that arguably the system worked. Um, you know, obviously there's some changes in the system. It has gone through some changes since Dodd-Frank. But at the end of the day, um, the, the Federal Reserve and the Treasury stepped in, uh, has now has made the depositors whole. Um, and, you know, and, and the bank, you know, who, who knows how, how the investigation is going to come out about. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, I, the system has been uh, uh, system has been restored. Uh, faith in the system has been restored, restored, and I think that the system pretty much worked. I mean, Chris, same question. What do you think? Failure of the system, or was this something else? Well, that, Chris, Chris, I think just gave you the answer to, to I'm the sorry, question. Jacob, I apologize. No, that's, that, that's, that, that's all right because that was sort of the, the regulatory side. I, I do think the system is working, but that doesn't mean that there aren't violations of law when you see a failure of this magnitude. I think that's really what the focus of all the investigations really is going to be. And you had mentioned before the SEC and trading by you know, tr- trading by executives. I think we have to look at the at at the at the laundry list, the alphabet soup of who's going to be involved. Not going to be the SEC, just the SEC and DOJ, the Office of the Control of the Currency, the OCC, Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations, Senate Banking, House Financial Services, the FDIC. We know the Fed's already involved in the states. So it's not just what are they looking at, which is I know what you're going to want to talk about in a second, which is the insider trading and some of the other violations, uh, but also who is going to be looking. This is going to be a long process of extended investigations. All right. Well, if you know what I'm going to ask next, let's just jump right into it. Um, from, based on what we know right now, and of course, we know the investigation is going on to see if they sold stock leading up to what happened. Do you believe does that meet the qualification for insider selling? Well, Frank, I didn't know what, what you were going to say, but that was part of your lead. So, but in fairness, <laughs> in, in, in fairness, when you have senior executives who are trading, you know, who are trading within a close period of time to a major event, that's why the SEC and the DOJ look at the possibility of insider trading. Investigation does not necessarily mean that that there was a violation. And I think while there's a focus, particularly on the CEO. Who sold? I've heard numbers anywhere from three point five million dollars worth of shares to two and a half million dollars worth of shares. Um, you know, in the you know in the weeks preceding the you know the, the the bank's failure. The fact is, we don't know who else may have been told, who else may have known. So I think that the laundry list of potential people who could fall within the scope of the investigation is much broader than just the CEO. 
And I know there's talk about the 10B51 plan, one of these pre-planned sales plans. Right. What did he know when he actually entered into the plans? I think there are a lot of issues, but yes, it's when you have senior executive and other heavy trading in advance of such an announcement and such an event that you do naturally have a look into whether there was trading while possession of material non-public information, which just in, in briefly ties out to what they're going to look at in terms of the, the, the corporation, SVB Financial itself, which would be its disclosures and whether its disclosures were accurate or did the company okay. disclose or fail to disclose weaknesses in lending practices and accounting practices in other areas? All right, Chris, over to you. You actually worked for the Treasury during the Trump administration during a time where some regulations were rolled back. So do you believe if those regulations weren't rolled back, we would not have seen this? Or does this kind of defy some of the regulations on the book? Because technically, SBB didn't really do anything technically wrong. I'm talking about as far as buying the treasuries. No, I actually, I don't think the rollbacks would change, wouldn't change anything. Um, and and so the, the reality is that there was a concentration risk at, at two banks. Um, they had, you know, again, there was there. We'll see how the investigations go out, but we'll see, you know, see how there may be some cooperators over over management and management practices. Uh, but the end of the, at the end of the day, and, and then there was just kind of a perfect storm. Uh, VCs were are not right now. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of capital out there uh, funding new new projects. Uh, and there was a high concentration of very heavily heavy VC uh, uh, people who had depositors at the bank, and so they were, had these these massive drawdowns. And so this, there was a really confluence of, a, of, a, of significant events that really caused a lot of strain in, in these two in these two banks with uh, with significant high concentration risk of one of one customer. All right, so Chris, I'm going to stay with you just for a second. I'm going to ask the question. I think a lot of people out there are going to be asking today as this continues to unfold. Did something criminal happen here in your minds? And should someone go to jail? And then even if whether or not something criminal happened, do you think what's being done now is enough to restore confidence in the banking system? So two pretty tough questions. Yeah, look, I, I, I'm never going to presuppose what the what the investigators are going to look into. I'm sure there's going to be a robust investigation. You know, your other guest suggested that there's going to be a panoply of, of folks looking at this. I'm sure that all of them will do exhaustive uh, research as to what happened. Um, but I do believe, in, and, and it sh there should be faith in the system has been should be restored. What the Federal Reserve and Treasury has done is stepped in and guaranteed uh, all those folks who have you know, small businesses and folks that have to make payroll can make pay make payroll. Uh, all those those folks that you know that are that are in, in birthing these great new ideas in the, in the United States and 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 have the funding to be able to to you know to, to make sure they grow their their businesses. Now can as well uh, if they had if there are deposits at these two banks and so okay that's Jacob what same question we just got a few seconds before we got to go I, I'll, I'll give you a more, I'll give you a hard, a hard answer which is yes if there was trading while in possession of material non public information in other words if people knew where this bank was going to go and that's yeah, and, and they trade on that information, there will be, that's my prediction, there will be criminal prosecutions. But the if is, did they do it? You've got a stock going from 333 down to 86 in about two to three weeks to worthless. And for anybody who was selling during that period, they're going to come under intense scrutiny. And I think where we're most likely to see um, potential criminal offenses charged, now I'm putting my former criminal prosecutor hat on, is it's going to be the insider trading and also the disclosures and, and potentially even in around statements around lending practices. All right, Jacob Frankel, Chris Campbell, great to have you both on. I wish we could talk longer. We spent a lot of time just reading off your titles and your resumes, but great to have you both here. Hoping to pick your brains again as this continues to be a story. 
All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, Carl Icahn showing no love for big tech, why he just can't get on board with the sector despite a pullback in prices. With higher interest rates, which I think are here to stay, you really can't justify some of the prices of these tech stocks where you, you looked at the present value and said, well, you're better than an interest rate. That was true when you were talking 2% interest rates, but not now. And even there, these tech stocks, they're run by people, in many cases, that shouldn't be running companies. All right, right there. That was the very outspoken Carl Icahn on Closing Bell yesterday. Had a lot to say about tech stocks and a whole lot more, but we're going to focus on tech stocks here. Joining me now to weigh in on those comments and much more, our retail research founder and senior analyst, Richard Kramer. Richard, great to have you on. Thanks. All right, so you just heard the comments from uh, Carl Icahn. He had a lot to say about tech, biotech, and much more. I really want to focus on the mega cap tech comments. What did you think? Well, I didn't hear the full comment from Carl Icahn, and I think it's a little bit rich to say who should or shouldn't be running companies when some of these companies are founder-led. But what we do see with the job cuts at Meta yesterday, for example, is that tech is moving through the same three-phase restructuring that we had long expected, which is the first phase is to cut all these crazy flight of fancy projects like balloons and and, uh, drones that provide internet service. The second is to grind out productivity enhancements. And now Meta's fired, uh, I think, 21,000 people. Uh, And the third will be for the companies that really face a survival issue to look at absolutely every cost they have and, um, and, and possibly have to you know, think in terms of survival. Okay. So he, he was talking specifically about valuations. I'm just going to fill you on some of the other things he was speaking about. So let's focus on Meta for a second. On Meta-led communication services yesterday, it finished up more than 7%, trading at about 20 times forward earnings. So in your mind, someone that looks at these stocks, is that too rich? Is that too high of a valuation for a company like this that has, number one, a very strong business and consumer base, and also the potential, if some of these things take off, to really explode? Well, before we talk about the, the potential for something to take off like the metaverse, which is clearly sometime in the future, our issue with meta, and we have it rated as a sell right now, uh, is that the valuation has become too rich. And if you look at the estimates for the second half of the year, the street is expecting 9% or more uh, sales growth. And while there are going to be some easier comps by the end of the year, I don't think the company would be cutting staff in a second wave like this if they saw that same rosy outlook. And the problem with a lot of these tech stocks is simply that the E is wrong. The earnings estimates are wrong because the street is perpetually too bullish on these names. All right. Fair point there. Also, want to look at Microsoft, obviously in the news a lot just due to chat GPT and its open AI investment trading at about 26 uh, times forward earnings. So is that valuation too high? Again, Microsoft has a bit more of a durable franchise in that it has re revenue as opposed to reoccurring campaign spend that that uh, that Meta tries to pull in from advertisers, and they're less exposed to this, the the um, demand destruction that happens when advertisers pull back their spending. That said, uh, we look at tech stocks generally, and the valuations are still pretty punchy, especially given the, the higher interest rate environment Carl Icahn mentioned. All right. So if you think that's punchy, I'm looking at Amazon right now, uh, trading at 65 times forward earnings. So if 26 times was punchy, what's Amazon at 65? 
Well, look, I think you have a whole category of companies that have, you know, they're, they're above the stratosphere. They're kind of in the troposphere. And, and you can't shoot them down because they have a business model or a story long term that, that people back and have faith in. Uh, if you look at you, you, you throw up Alphabet or Apple there, uh, they are companies that generate uh, substantial levels of operating cash flow. Uh, and and in the case of Apple and indeed Amazon, and indeed Alphabet, uh, they buy back a huge amount of their stock. So Amazon doesn't have the support that Apple does because there's a buyer of 80 billion dollars of Apple stock in the market every year. And that's Apple. They're recycling that cash flow back into its own stock, which creates some support. Uh, Amazon, I think, is 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 uniquely exposed to a slowdown in consumer discretionary spend, which is one of the big risks in the market right now, uh, very clearly. All right, Richard Kramer, great to have you on. It looks like you agree with Carl Icahn more than I originally thought you were. You started off kind of saying he's, he's commenting too much on the founders. Then you guys kind of went lockstep after that. Great to have you on, as always. Thank you. Sure thing. All right, coming up, Carrie Firestone with the top stocks on her radar, including one stock, that you're going to have to hear. It's in the financial space, uh, and it's facing a sell-off that she calls overdone. And also, throughout the month of March, we're celebrating women's heritage, sharing the stories of women leaders in business and those of our CNBC teammates and contributors. As we head to break, here's Rent the Runway founder and co- excuse me, co-founder and CEO, Jennifer Hyman. We're all capable of way more than we give ourselves credit for. Women need to dream extremely big for their lives. The bigger you dream, the bigger the outcome is going to be. I started Rent the Runway when I was 27. I didn't have any experience. And the thing that has led me to where I am today is just putting one foot in front of the other and continuing to be positive, continuing to be resilient along the way. So don't give up on yourself because you will actually be able to achieve way more than you've ever dreamed of. All right, welcome back. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. Diamond Sports Group filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection toppled by a more than $8 billion debt load The Sinclair Broadcast-owned company says it's finalizing a restructuring support agreement. First Republic, Western Alliance, and KeyCorp among the regional banks rallying this morning with that sector snapping a six-session losing streak yesterday. Homebuilder Lennar reporting better-than-expected first-quarter results with higher home prices, helping to offset supply shortages caused by rising costs for materials as well as a labor crunch. Shares are rising as a result. Fresh Pet Shares falling after announcing its intent to offer a $350 million senior note offering to qualified institutional buyers. Bloomberg reporting prosecutors were investigating Signature Bank's work with crypto clients before regulators seized the lender over the weekend. And U.S. listed shares of Credit Suisse dropping to a record low as the cost of insuring the company's bond against default increases. Investors continue to assess the potential impact of weakness in the bank's internal controls which Credit Suisse identified when it published its delayed annual report yesterday. All right, markets still shaking off a volatile few days as investors turn their attention to next week's Fed policy meeting. Let's find some opportunity amid all this volatility and bring in Carrie Firestone, RES Asset Management Chairman and CEO, as well as a CNBC contributor. Carrie, always great to see you. Nice to see you, Frank. All right, let's just kick it off. I want to ask you a question I asked one of our earlier guests. So yesterday, communication services outperformed, boosted by Meta. After that layoff news, we also saw increased inflows into index funds for the S&P and the triple Q NASDAQ 100. 
What does that mean? Well, I think the reaction yesterday had a lot to do with the inflation numbers and what the Fed might do as a result of what's been happening both with inflation and with the banking system. And we understand that growth stocks do better when interest rates come down. There's an inverse relationship between price earnings multiple and what happens with interest because of the discount rate. You, you want to pay less for a dollar three years from now if interest rates are higher. But the signal, I, I think, is that if inflation is coming down, or at least it wasn't higher than, than the whisper numbers, it was basically in line. And we know that with bank failures, I mean, what happened last week or over the weekend with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature really puts a lid on what the Fed can do in raising rates. They're unlikely. I mean, there's almost no chance they're going to go to 50 basis points. It's much more likely that it'll be 25 basis points and and a pretty good chance, I guess, also that there might be no increase and then one after that. And that would be good for growth stocks. So I think that the market, it was a relief, a relief. And and that really helped the, the entire group. All right. So I know you're big on bank stocks. So new this morning, Credit Suisse actually upgraded Charles Schwab saying the stock has overshot to the downside in the SVB fallout. Um, You also made a bank purchase. Explain the rationale behind your bank purchase. So we bought some First Republic Bank yesterday. And this is a stock that we've known well. And we did a lot of work on the weekend, over the weekend on it. Um, It has been one of the most respected banks in terms of customer satisfaction. About half of its loans are mortgages. Most of those mortgages have some tie to a deposit. People don't move their money when there's a mortgage involved. You you can't really move your mortgage. And therefore, those deposits, we think, are going to be steady. Now, of course, they'll, they'll lose assets because every bank, except for maybe the top four are losing assets right now to the bigger banks. But that's a that's a fear factor. And we feel that it's a solid bank with definitely now with the infusion and and the potential for more assets from J.P. Morgan and from the federal government. I mean, that's the government has made that clear. The book value was eighty dollars a share before this. The book value, you know, we, we assume can come down. But the stock was trading at 19 on on Monday morning. Um, and, you know, we bought uh, the stock uh, above that level, but not much. And we feel we feel very confident that this is a bank that will stay in business. It has great customer service. And once okay. the, the country calms down, we're going to see that these banks are are very important for the whole banking system. Uh, the government does not want more banks to fail. OK, uh, I want to get to your picks. I mentioned Meta earlier. That's one of your picks, along with Salesforce. Give us a sense of why you're so bullish on those two names. Well, for years, we saw those companies expand their employee base, expand the scope of of all of their operations, and even in an aspirational sense at at Meta, away from their core business. Uh, This has been a year of reckoning over the past, uh, really, 16 to 18 months, where these big tech stocks saw that investors were disenchanted with their style of, of growth and their approach toward unprofitable segments of their operation. And they've gotten both religion in terms of cost cutting and streamlining, but also activists involved. That's going to improve their margins. It will increase earnings. Their base businesses are strong both. They've been in, I would say, recessions that are specific, and we think that's good 
for the companies going forward. Carrie, great to have you on. We got to leave it there. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Watching futures taking a move to the downside right now. Dow futures down about 200 points. Squawk Box coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 